What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Nurse Ree, and you're tuning in to Forensic Nurse Files. This is an informative but fun true crime podcast that follows the careers of three forensic nurse examiners. We just want to note that this podcast uses foul language, some sarcasm, and contains descriptions of adult themes and violence that some people may find disturbing. So if you need support, please check the show notes or visit our website. Welcome back. Hey, Ree. How's it going? What's up? What's up? It's going, girl. It is going. I feel like the sun comes out and then everybody gets crazy. No doubt. As soon as the weather starts to heat up, you know, the drinks are flowing or what have you and people are outside and they're intermingling again, you know. So, yeah, definitely it's been busy in the forensic side. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Also, April is Child Abuse Awareness Month. It um, is a month where we really dedicate um, to raising awareness for child abuse and awareness and prevention. So it's a really important month that we take it to really focus on, um, on what it is, child abuse, you know? Yeah. And it's so sad that this is such a prevalent topic that is still continues to be a problem to this day. And it's unfortunate that we have to continue to educate people about this because it should just be a given that you don't abuse or neglect your children and or any child that's under your care. You know, I know, um, like, even though it's this month is child abuse awareness, I know, like, um, our institution is hosting a big event for educators, um, the beginning of May, because we couldn't make it happen in April, child abuse awareness month, but it should always be, um, every month, Mm -hmm. we should be aware of child abuse and how to prevent it. And, um, and that's going to be geared. What I'm really excited about is it's geared towards educators. So people that work in the school system. So whether it's a mm-hmm. teacher, a counselor, a school nurse, administrator, because those are the people that come in. Um, they have the most contact with the kids. They have the ability to see more and to really um, act and react and um, help try to um, prevent and stop Mm -hmm. some of these events. And I know we're going to talk more about specific incidents and things like that. And I know, um, you know, we always start our show with a little bit about, um, about a little bit of, um, information about each crime that we deal with as forensic nurses. And, you know, today we're talking about not just child abuse, but child neglect. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that goes into both of these topics. Like it's such a big umbrella and we're just going to narrow it down to the most common ones because we could go on forever about this topic. And I think throughout the longevity of our podcast that we're going to get, you know, is we're still new in our podcast and we're talking about, you know, a little bit about what constitutes child abuse, you know, child neglect or the other topics, domestic violence, you know, um, Mm -hmm. suspicious injuries sexual assault. So we're going to talk more about the general and then we're going to get later in our podcast more into specific cases that we've seen. Yeah. So like, you know, the crazy thing is, um, that, you know, you look at those little faces of those, you know, little innocent little angels and Mm. one in seven children have experienced child abuse or neglect even in the last year. And I think today is a very, um, you know, a very monumental day because, um, there was a very high profile, another high profile case of child abuse, which unfortunately um, resulted in the death of a child, a 10 year old boy. And we can, I guess we can mention his name, Anthony Avalos. And today was the, the sentencing hearing. 
happy to say that there were multiple lifetime without parole um, sentences for the perpetrators, which was the mother and her boyfriend, you know, and just to hear the, the closing words from all those that were close to Anthony was heartbreaking. And, you know, one thing I heard a common thread throughout is, you know, they won't forgive, they won't forget, and that they hope that you know, a big strapping, you know, over six foot tall, muscular man who chooses to beat to death a 10 year old little boy, you know, they hope that, that he gets the same every single day of his lifelong sentence. I don't know how long. And he will. Yeah, he will. He will. A lot of the times when they're still in the ICU, um, the parent or caretaker or whoever it may be that caused the injury still might have visitation and still might come see that child and still might come to the bedside so they're still coming and putting on this like this show like oh my god my child like you love and you care so much in front of all these doctors and nurses and whoever else is on the healthcare team but low-key behind closed doors you did this I think you and I have both talked about this is we both had some type of personal experience with some type of child abuse neglect whether it's physical abuse emotional or neglect, you know, and so it's very dear to our hearts. And like, it's just like an innocent baby. So what you do, you know, you see your forensic side, but you also see your pediatric intensive care unit side, which we're not talking kids Mm -hmm. that are, you know, these are kids that are in intensive care for their, you know, related to their injuries. And it is, um, you know, they put on that facade, like you said, they put on that facade and it's just so hard, but you know, really like, you know, what we do is we have to focus on the needs of the child and going forward, you know, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, it is hard. It is hard. And, you know, I would say today, listening to the family members, um, I don't know if you had a chance to listen. It, um, it just, it, it was hard to not just break down because we talk about trying to not personalize and how we deal with everything, but, you know, it's really hard to not identify or feel bad for these innocent little angels that had no choice in being born into the family that in which they were born. And then they have to succumb to a lifetime abuse until they're taken away, displaced from their family or until unfortunately like Anthony or Avalos or Gabriel Fernandez and multiple others where they, um, they, unfortunately they didn't survive. Exactly. And it's horrible. And I'm all for put them under the fucking jail. Well, we all know, you know, and I know from my prime, you know, my prior law enforcement background, nobody Mm -hmm. likes a child abuse suspect. Nobody likes a child abuser and they're going to get theirs. And I hope they're tortured far more than that poor little, those poor little children were. Oh, they will be. They will. They fucking will be. We might not see it, but it'll happen, you know, and like Mm -hmm. per the um, Center for Disease Control or CDC, um, the actual definition um, for child abuse is any act or series of acts of commission or omission by a parent caregiver or another person in a custodial role that results in harm, a potential for harm or threat of harm to a child. So what that means is, yeah, we think the obvious, like they get beat, they get hit, the physical abuse, but there can be an omission. There's things like Mm -hmm. not giving them the food that they need or the taking Mm -hmm. them to school or the medical care that they need for, um, for anything mild or severe. And, you know, if you think these, these, these children are dependent on these adults and that can cause a Mm -hmm. harm or even a threat of harm, maybe it doesn't cause harm. Maybe they 
they escape through again, but that's still the definition and it's preventable. Right. And that's the key. It's a preventable act. People are choosing to do this. This can be prevented. Um, And then acts of commission, like you said, those are like um, harm, potential harm, threats of harm, like physical, sexual, psychological, anything like that. So, you know, and the thing is, um, you know, and to like kind of maybe break it down a little bit, like commission is something that they actually do. They um, have words, you know, um, overt actions that can cause harm. It might be emotional abuse. There's not, uh, that, that's a thing too. Um, mm-hmm. And they might threaten the children. Or again, it could be what the obvious, the physical harm or um, threat of harm, you know, to cause them to live in fear. Um, and sexual abuse, that's the one too. Um, again, the act, that was the acts of commission, but omission is like what we talked about, like failing to provide those basic needs failing to protect from harm or potential harm, you know? So again, like, let's just say, let's just like, keep it simple. You know, you have a kid who's, you know, ill or they have some type of chronic diagnosis, or maybe it's even like a, a, a dental, a severe dental cavity, anything. And they fail to get them treatment. You know, um, they don't supervise them. They leave them home alone, you know, for leave them with people who are, um, dangerous or, you know, um, you know, or in a violent environment, an environment with drugs, an environment with abuse, environment with gang activity, whatever it may be, but they're failing to provide the basic needs, you know, of the child. And just to add on to that, like, I think that these are very like basic things of what we see, but child abuse and neglect also includes like your child witnessing things. They shouldn't be exposed to certain things. And that kind of um, is included in acts of omission, but if they're seeing domestic violence, they're seeing any kind of violence, they're a witness to a sexual assault, anything like that constitutes child abuse and neglect. A hundred percent. And that's the thing is like, you know, we, again, we look at the obvious, but there's so much more involved with it. And there's something called um, ACEs. It's adverse. It's an acronym for adverse childhood experiences. And uh, um, so an ACE or adverse childhood experience for those that don't know, those are potentially traumatic events that occur early in childhood. So when we say early in childhood, anywhere from zero to 17 years. And those are things that like that a child may experience in their lifetime. Maybe, like you said, it could be the physical abuse, but it might, witnessing violence in the home or community. So maybe it's, um, you know, people in the home that are dangerous, or maybe it's a domestic violence in the home. Um, things like, you know, like, you know, mental illness or mental health issues in the mm-hmm. home, like, you know, maybe a family member who is depressed, um, suicidal. And the okay. thing is, there's been multiple studies and Kaiser is one of those big um, organizations that has spent a lot of time and efforts spent on studying these adverse childhood experiences. And they lead to, um, there's a lot of things they lead to, but um, chronic health problems, mental illness, substance abuse problems, um, you know, they are at higher risk for things like you know, um, abuse in their life, being abused, mm-hmm. um, addiction, you know, being a victim of domestic violence. Um, it negatively impacts education, you know, opportunities for, you know, education, opportunities for employment, uh, earning potential. And, you know, so there's like a test that you can take on how we can ask, answer questions as to, you know, did you see this? Did you see that? And it actually significantly reduces life expectancy. So, um, it's not just a something, 
that is, you know, oh, it's a childhood. So we get them out of the home. You know, they have to be followed. They have to be cared for because their risks in, later in life are so much greater for all these complications and an early death than those that who do not experience any adverse childhood events. What are your thoughts? 100%. I agree. And I just think that this relates to our homeless crisis right now all across the nation because we see a lot of people on the streets that have mental health issues. And a lot of times, if you just take the time to talk to people and really learn their story and their background, you'll hear that they've been through some trials and tribulations in their life. And in their childhood, they might have experienced some of these things. And like we said, ACEs are linked to chronic health problems, mental illness, substance abuse. And those are a lot of the people that we see on the streets currently. So just have a little bit more compassion when you see these people. This is kind of on a tangent, but a lot of these people have experienced negative childhood experiences and um, we have to figure this out. It is such a national crisis. It is. It is and it's like we're putting band-aids on things versus, you know, um, you know, really healing the wound. And like, so it's, I, I feel like we are kind of barking up the wrong tree when it comes to treating the homeless crisis. You know, yeah. we need to look more at like the treatment at an early age and like identify yeah. us. And this is why it's so important for, you know, people like educators or healthcare workers, like such as ourselves to really, um, you know, identify this early so we can take a stance and, you know, maybe try to get some help and early intervention and see, you know, how, you know, like maybe like instead of putting a bandaid on the problem, trying to really get to the root of the problem and fix exactly. the problem. And it's like, we've gone so far overboard. It feels like it's out of control, but I don't think it really is. If we can really get focused in the right direction, how to make that happen. I don't know, but I say each and every yeah. person, it starts with you, what you can do. You know, I can, yeah, I agree. I can you can do what you can do. The other nurse can do the police officer, the counselor, the school teacher, you know, um, I can tell you like, you know, it's, it's just, you just never know when that person's going to intervene, whether it is a healthcare worker, teacher, I say teacher, because I feel like, you know, hopefully those are the people at the front line of seeing the day to day, you know, we might see them as a healthcare worker that comes into, you know, our institution as an inpatient in the PICU like you or into the ER through our forensics units. Um, but you know, really the day to day is the, the student that's absent, the student that's dirty, the student that has injuries, you know, kind of like some of our higher profile cases, they can make a difference and, you know, educating them so we can start like at the core, the root of the problem and just kind of go from there. I don't know how you Absolutely. feel about that, but I feel like there needs to be a shift in where the focus is instead of like, after the fact, let's like more about like prevention you know, primary, you know, secondary, you know, intervention yeah. versus tertiary, like putting the bandaid on. Yeah, I agree. And I think that a lot of our cases, like if you're in a program that works directly with the ER, I think a lot of your child abuse cases come from the ER and there, a lot of them are referrals from schools and they just want them to be checked out. So that's a teacher or a counselor or somebody in the school telling them, you know, we see something, we're concerned. And then the parents are told to bring the kid into the ER. However, on the other hand, I feel like teachers already have so much on their plates that we're, we're just requiring so much of them. And it's it's not fair for them to then again be responsible for all of these things again. I think that the education needs to start in the home. And a lot of people are uneducated. And as we'll get into, there's like 
certain things that parents are stressed. And when they're stressed, they do certain things. Um, and there just needs to be a lot of education early in parenthood or, you know, early in pregnancy to both parents if they're both involved um, on how we can prevent some of these things from happening. I am 100% on board with you with that. And it's about like, again, most of these people that are the abusers have experienced the same themselves. So where do we stop the cycle? You know, I have to say, you know, I'm going to personalize this for a second. You know, um, when I had some instances in my life, um, where things weren't as, you know, like leave it to beaver. If anyone knows that show, um, (laughs) at home. And I can remember, um, being, I can remember the turmoil and going in the 10th grade and being late to my first period class. And I had an amazing teacher. He was the health teacher and he was the, a PE teacher, a football coach, wrestling coach, whatever. It doesn't matter. But he was very um, into the, in, in tune to the kids. And that's what it takes for those people. And uh, I came into the classroom late one morning. I was probably visibly upset, but trying not to show it. And he sent the whole class. He said, you know, we're all going to the library. He sent the whole class to the library. He held me back and he intervened. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like he was it. able to turn something around by recognizing something, you know. And so it's about not just recognizing it or thinking or assuming if you have that feeling, whether you're an educator, you're a nurse, you're a neighbor, whoever you are. Don't be afraid to act on that. You know, um, Child Protective Services has got a really bad rap, but if they don't know anything, they can't do anything. So even Mm -hmm. people are, oh, they might be in worse trouble. It might be worse if I say something, but you know what I say? You know what? Don't worry about that. Just say something because it's the first step in um, intervention. And there's a lot of resources out there for families for children. And, um, I know I'm kind of getting off on a tangent also, but, um, you know, and it's not always physical abuse. You might see signs that might be sexual abuse, you know, mm-hmm. um, emotional abuse or neglect again, you know, um, mm-hmm. the physical abuse is you might see, um, that's something intentional use of physical force that results in physical or can result in physical injury. So it can like hitting someone, slapping them, kicking them, shaking and burning them, you know, any type of force against a child. And, you know, and so, um, if you think, I feel like that's the one we hear and see about the most is the physical abuse, but there's so much more to it. There is so much more. And, you know, and then there's sexual abuse, emotional abuse and neglect. And, you know, we can step into each of those and I'm going to, I would love to share a story about a a multi five that I handled, but, um, you know, sexual abuse is, you know, it's not just, you know, it might be pressuring a child or forcing them to engage in sexual acts. Um, it could be, you know, grooming, grooming them, um, shaming them, name calling, threatening them, you know, um, withholding love, neglect. Again, we talked about it's just failing to meet the child's basic needs, physical needs, emotional needs. You know, it could be housing, could be food, clothing, education. It's, um, you know, it is just shocking to me how many people don't take their kids to school. You know, and, um, then, and kids and their kids, they don't know any better. You know, they're, they're so vulnerable and they're such sponges. They soak up whatever's around them and what's going on. They don't know any better. And that's what makes this so frustrating and scary is that people take advantage of that 
and and they just run with it and these poor kids just they can't win they really just can't they can't and they you know and again like just like trying to what we're trying to do is you know educate whoever's listening to this that there's not just a bruise or a belt mark or something you know for a for a child who is a victim of abuse you know um and Again, you know, there's kids that their teeth are dirty, their hair is dirty, they don't have clean clothes, their clothes don't fit, mm-hmm. you know, they're, you know, they're left alone and people just kind of like want to turn a blind eye. But I'm saying if we want to like make a difference and we want to um, prevent this, and I know you and I are super passionate about this, you know, we need mm-hmm. to do this. I experience I had. So one day one sibling came in that was severely beaten, but the next couple days later, um, DCFS department of child and family services came out to see the other kids and see what was going on with them and brought them all in, you know, to our hospital. And so there were five kids and of the five kids, there was an oldest one. I can't remember how old she was, but I thought she was a heat. And I'm going to say that because the parents had, um, dressed her like a boy, shaved her head to look like a boy. And then there were all the other kids that were younger the oldest one got the most abuse. We did an we did an exam on all of them, a forensic medical exam, all down to the youngest. The older and going downwards, the older they were, the more abuse they sustained. And it was so sad to me because I didn't even know that was a female because of the way they, you know, dressed and, you know, had the child look a certain type of way. So mm-hmm. um, the child was falling asleep. And in the ER, and then we took them to our unit to do the forensic medical exams and they had been medically cleared. So I'm in there and this mm-hmm. child's falling asleep and falling asleep. And I want to say she was probably 12. I can't remember, but I want to say around 12. Mm-hmm. And the other ones mm-hmm. were the youngest is probably four. Now they all, t- they told me other than the oldest one, they were all nonverbal. Well, so just coincidentally, the one that was seen the day before for the abuse was apparently what they said was had autism. And so they were nonverbal. Um, I don't think that they really had autism. I think that they were so neglected, emotionally abused and physically abused that they were nonverbal. So anyway, so she was the only one that could talk. But as I had her in the exam room, I saw multiple injuries. I had to send her back to the ER because her head injuries were so severe. I was surprised that they sent her to us, cleared. Mm. But her um, huge welts, hematomas, whatever you, I want to say hematomas because I'm a nurse. Um, and I said, what happened to your head? Cause she was falling asleep. She's falling asleep because she's tired. Cause you've been taking mm-hmm. care of all the kids and she's 11 or 12 and God. she had a severe head injury. What happened to your head? That's where my mom hit me with the bat. So I went through every injury. What is this? As we're doing our forensic photography, um, in our exam, that's where my mom hit me with the belt. That's where my mom burned me that with this. And it like, literally she knew how every injury across her entire body, how Mm. she received that injury. And she remembered she, she knew, and it was just so sad. And they said, do we, do we have to go home? Why? Mm. I don't want to go home. I'm scared. You know? Mm. So it was like, you know, so when we're talking about that, like, you know, these are the, like, there's, that's one of many, 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 many out there. And it's like, we just need to spread the word. And if you see that, my thing is, is do something about it. Call your local child protective services. 
even if you don't know, you don't have to know. Uh, uh, some type of suspicion, you're not going to get in trouble. The kid's not going to get in trouble. Start the ball rolling, you know, for some type of intervention before it's too late. Yeah, I completely agree. And I just want to touch on that and um, also kind of go off on a little tangent. A lot of times when there's multiple children and one of the children is targeted in a child abuse situation, it's called the Cinderella phenomenon. And um, that is when an abusive parent has some type of directed anger and they're taking it out on one specific child. So I just want to put that out there. That's so, so true. Because, like, speaking of today, the Anthony Avalos, you can all look it up and see the whole case. Um, so Anthony was the oldest of the kids, right? He was mm-hmm. the non-biological child of the couple. So, and that's also very common. A lot of times it'll be like a step-parent situation. Yeah, the other ones were abused, you know, for sure. Again, mm-hmm. look it up. But um, he was the non-biological child of um, the boyfriend who was a, you know, again, you know, co- you know, convicted, sentenced <laughs> without mm-hmm. a doubt. So, um, you know, so again, it's like there's that anger, like this child isn't my child. And these other ones are my children, you know, so they, they might even, it might even be that there's only one child abuse. I've seen that too, where there's, you know, two or three kids in the house and only one is sustained abuse and the other two are immaculate. Nothing. Right. And again, I mean, we saw that with Gabriel Fernandez. There's a whole documentary about him on Netflix. (laughs) Um, He had multiple siblings who were also victims of abuse and neglect, but he got it the most severe. Yeah, they were both very similar and they're both in the same area. Yeah, it is super sad. So, you know, again, like we're just like, this is a super depressing topic and people might be turning this off right now, which I totally get. Um, I don't know. I just think it's about raising awareness. And then Mm -hmm. once we become aware that this is actually a thing, um, Mm -hmm. how do we prevent it? What can we do? Like, again, we each have to look we, it, it just starts with you. You know, you can't control other people, what other people do, but you can definitely do your part in um, being aware. And then, you know, any type of prevention that you can think of, if you think there's a problem, then you report it. And if there's not, then someone else, will, the other, the experts will figure it out or they will continue to keep it on the radar. Completely agree. And before we sign off, I just want to talk about abusive head trauma because this is a huge one that I personally see in the hospital, especially in the PICU. And it's something that can result in brain injury. And it's so, so serious. A lot of you guys will probably recognize the term um, shaken baby syndrome. Um, And this is so, so unfortunately so common. So this happens when a caregiver or a parent or whoever is in the care of the child becomes frustrated because the kid will not stop crying. And as we all know, I mean, I don't have any kids, but obviously I work with kids and I have nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever. Babies cry. And a lot of the times they'll cry incessantly and it will drive you crazy. I only have to deal with it for 12 hours at a time, but I can only imagine like a parent or a caregiver and how aggravating and frustrating that can be because they can't talk to you. They can't tell you what's wrong. Right. Especially if they're colicky, you're like, what the hell? Like, shut up. Like, you know, it's frustrating, but education has to be put out there to not shake the baby. Do not forcefully shake them because it causes severe head trauma, brain trauma, brain bleeds. Like, 
it's just not okay. And it's unfortunate that it's something we see a lot. When I, I'm, and you guys, I've said I'm a travel nurse. When I've worked in other states, a lot of the times in the PICU or the step down units, they will not discharge a child without the parents being educated on shaken baby syndrome. They can't leave the NICU. They can't leave the PICU if the child is less than one year old without having been trained on this because it's so common and it is so lethal. It's the leading cause of physical child abuse deaths in children under five years old in the United States. Well, it's just crazy. It is crazy. And I know for you working in the PICU, you used to perceive probably far more of it than you would ever think there was. Um, Mm -hmm. I have the extensive pediatric background. However, I did work um, a large children's hospital where there was the emergency room. And there was we mm-hmm. saw some of the same, but not to the extent that you saw. But the thing is like to think about, like when we're thinking about prevention, why did that happen? Well, because like, like let's just take somebody who has everything in place, right? You got your mm-hmm. partner, you got the father of the baby, your husband, whatever it may be. You've got a job, you've got money, you've got a house, you've got resources, mm-hmm. you know, and it's still hard, but take away the support take away the, the significant other, you know, the, the other partner in the making of the child, take away resources, take away education, take away job, take away all that, take away, and then add in the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences. You've been a victim too. It's, you know, it's hard enough to have everything in line in place and deal with all these, with stressors. You know, and so, um, right. you know, we, you know, I hate to say it's like you kick the dog, you know, when you're down, but it feels to me like it you is. kind of kick the dog when you're down because you're just down. And, you know, so getting help for those people who may be at risk for, maybe nothing's even mm-hmm. happened, but you see it, you know what, reach out, like do something like for God's sakes, yeah. like don't be a bystander in life to this type of abuse. It's horrific. And the head trauma is, a, it's a thing. And like. I mean, I would like to know, like, you know, um, in a, let's just say in a year working in the PICU, how many patients would you see that are pediatric patients that are victims of head trauma due to abuse? Oh, Oh my gosh. I can't even count. I honestly can't even count. And that's the sad part. I want to say at least two to three a month. Unfortunately, This is super common and babies less than one year old are at the greatest risk of injury and it accounts for about one third of all child maltreatment deaths. A third, one in three. Like it is so fucking common. I can't stress this enough. Like you guys, it is normal for babies to cry. That's just what they do. They have no other physiological response. That's just what they know to do. A lot of times they smile, they coo, they babble, but most of the time they cry. They cry and just like, find, like deal with it. But again, you know, or don't have kids or don't have kids. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Or don't have kids. I mean, we're in a day and age where abortion is questionable and people may or may not be forced to have children. But you really have to think if this is something that you want to deal with and you're ready to deal with and the lack of sleep and all that comes with it. It's not a game. Like, it's it's real. Kids cry and they cry a lot and they will cry all night long. And and, and when the shaking, like, there's, like, you, you have the severe cases in the picky, right? You have those that are mm-hmm. on their brink of death if they don't die. But the thing is, there's a lot of long-term 
um, serious yeah. long-term health consequences, um, yeah, vision yeah. problems, developmental delays, um, physical disabilities, hearing loss, all those things experienced with these mm -hmm. babies, you know? So, yeah. Um, I mean, if you think like, about it, if you know an adult that's had a brain bleed and the, the, the outcomes and what consequences they have to deal with following that, it's the same for a child. It's just that it happens at, at, in the baby stage. And now they have to go their whole life dealing with these consequences. Yeah. And we've both seen the consequences of that, you know, in the aftermath of that throughout their years, you know, and the, uh, an important statistic, another important statistic is, um, one in four, 25% of, um, babies who experience abusive head trauma, things like the shaken baby syndrome, they die from that form of abuse. So yeah. you might, you know, if they're not permanently damaged from those, you know, um, consequences that we talked about, they die from it. So it's just something to keep in mind. You know, um, and I know it's a super dark topic and it's something that's really important because we're going to step into cases, but it's about um, education. It's about um, awareness and it's about prevention and everybody has their part. Don't wait for the other person to do something. Don't wait. If you see a family member, it could be the most educated, you know, um, successful, you know, person, you know, they have money. They might not have all those aces or those other um you know, um, circumstances that might be, you know, more a precursor to that type of abuse. It could be someone else and they might just have a problem, you know, like they feel out of control. They don't know what to do. They're stressed mm -hmm. out. Maybe they have a problem with their partner, you know, um, or they just don't have help. Hard, you know, and I'm a mom, you know, I, I'm a grandma, you know, so I've seen it. And yeah, I, you have I, the cutest grandbaby. <laughs> thank you. I love him. I'm going to have to send you the video of him his first time on a swing <laughs> yesterday. But even myself, with my law enforcement background, with my nursing background, with everything else, I could remember the frustration that came into play with, um, with certain things. And, you know, and I have some ACEs, you know, some adverse childhood experiences that probably um, predisposed me to be more at risk for those type of behaviors. Did I do it? No. But was it, um, could it have happened if I took away maybe two of the things that were good in my life? I would hope mm -hmm. not, but maybe, you know, so I have empathy for those people mm -hmm. that are just at rock bottom. There is a multitude of resources for support. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, you just have to find out where to go to get them. Call mm -hmm. your, you know, if you have a forensics unit, call them. You know, call a hotline, DCFS hotline, say, I need help. Call, look for, you know, any type of resource. There are counseling resources. There are housing resources. There are financial resources. Like there is a plethora of resources for anything, whether it's, you know, help with parenting, whether it's food resources, whether it's housing, whether it's legal, financial, job assistance, there's something out there and they're free. Just try to find somebody, local law enforcement, anybody. And I would say start with Child Protective Services if you're in that boat and call and say, I feel this way and I need help. Or I know someone that's like this. How do I get them help? And reach out and do your part. Do your part. Mm -hmm. Don't, mm -hmm. you know, you have to go to bed every night, lay your head on the pillow and sleep soundly. And if you have an intuition or a feeling or a, actually a you a known fact that something's going on, don't 
don't leave it up to somebody else. Speak for those who can't speak for themselves. I love that. Speak for those they cannot speak for themselves. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys so much. And uh, tune in next week. We're going to continue this child abuse train. Unfortunately, it's going to take multiple episodes because like we said, there's so much that goes into it. But we appreciate you guys so much. Spread the word. Tell a friend. Whatever you got to do to get the word out. Be the change.